0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan.
1: Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Rob LaWashette. Nate Klaus later will be joined by Alec Rome in our mailbag segment, but out of the gates, Nebraska gets a big one signed, locked up and sealed. Uh, Diedrich Mills signed his letter of intent uh, about 24 hours before the junior college deadline. And, and that's somewhat confusing uh, to a lot of people because um, their signing day on December 19th, uh, but then there's the junior college deadline that goes all the way until January 15th. And um, obviously, Nebraska um, wanted to get things figured out. Um, what we do know is Mills will not be on campus um, for for this semester. He will not be a part of spring ball um, as he's trying to finish up, I, I believe, uh, at least one more type of course requirement online. Uh, but I think he's that important in Nebraska. Um, I know there's some baggage that comes with him from some past incidents, both at Georgia Tech and then just, just recently, Nate. Um, but you had a chance to see uh, Diedrich play in person. You're the only guy, really, I, th- I think, in this media market that has. Along with Greg Peterson, your thoughts on him and what he can bring, and why
2: it was important to get him signed. Well, he's important because he brings that physical dimension to the running back room. He's a guy. He's not the, He's not a big guy like Devine Ozigbo, uh where you know Devine played at 220 to 230, anywhere in between there. But Diedrich plays with a physical style. He likes to run through people. Um, or or over them or whatever. He 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 just would loves to lower his shoulder and and run over people. Um, now he can he's elusive and and he's got some speed and everything. But he he really kind of prides himself on on being able to run between the tackles and getting those tough yards and running over a linebacker in the hole. And and I don't know if you can really look at the the running back room right now and say that there's a guy on this roster that really fits that mold. Uh, so, and so, I think that's why he's such an important piece to this team into this recruiting class because he adds that dimension to that running back room.
3: Well, especially with what they lose with Devine um, you know, Obviously, he emerges their number one all-around back, but uh, that physicality he brought, especially down the stretch, late in Big Ten play, is probably one of the biggest voids uh, in that running game. As talented as Maurice Washington is, that's not his strength. And I know Mills isn't the biggest guy. He's like, what, 5'11", 215, something like that. Not even 215, but closer to 200. But he he's a physical runner. I mean, he played the, I think they call it the V-back or something something in, in Georgia Tech's triple option, and you know, he put up some numbers there, too. So he's accustomed to running between the tackles, and I think he's going to help uh, provide what Devine Zigbo is leaving behind uh, to give this offense that much-needed brand of physicality and toughness in the run game.
1: And Nate, the, the negative guy that maybe has a, a glass half-empty take is like, well, why is he any different than um, you know, last year, Greg Bell. Uh, tell Husker fans why he's a different back than Greg Bell.
2: Well, I think the thing that differentiates uh, Diedrich Mills from Greg Bell is that he's done it on the Division One level already. I mean, he was at Georgia Tech. He ran for 771 yards and 12 touchdowns as a true freshman um, in the ACC and he earned freshman all American honors. Now Greg, their brother. Yeah. Greg Bell never <laughs> ACC. did that. Now Greg <laughs> Bell had some accolades coming out of junior college, but Greg Bell had never proven himself at the division one level. he would never been through that grind before. Um, has
1: Greg Bell found anywhere yet? Either I mean, I don't that, think so. I, I,
2: I'm still that was he's going to look back and really regret that move. I believe
1: I'm on social media, you know, obviously, and follow him, and and he has some really random Instagram videos and things, and none of it looked like football. I mean, I, I have no idea what that guy's doing, and yeah, and I'm guessing he's not getting any glowing endorsements from
2: Nebraska. No, I'm. I wouldn't think so. I mean, you kind of. Burnt the bridge. Yeah, you you left your team high and dry. Right before Wisconsin, yes. Right right before a big road trip and big 10 play. Yeah, and and honestly, that could have been a situation where, I mean, not not that Nebraska was, you know, on some undefeated streak or anything like that, but it could have been a deal where, you know, it really – uh, ruin the locker room or something like that. Uh, looking back, and maybe it galvanized that locker room a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, that was that was not. He did not handle it very well. And for the record, he is still
3: undecided. He has not found a new school as of Wednesday. How did you find that out? Uh, there's an updated track list uh, of the transfer portal players <laughs> that have been announced that they've entered their name or have transferred from their schools. So uh, that's a, it's a running, fluid list. And
1: he's he's gonna probably go FCS. I mean, that's really his I only. think you have to. I mean, yeah. no one power five or division one is going to say, yeah, we're going to take you for two years to play one. No, uh, there's just no way. That's I don't think he knows happening. anybody at Oregon state either. Well, let's be, you guys, <laughs> you, you guys, I think they were, he was trying to transfer there. He got blocked from Oregon state. So of course that, he that was it. Uh, but we talked about Ozigbo just briefly. Holy yeah. cow guys. No, no. I mean, wow. He's like a fine wine. He gets better with age and, 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 you know, we knew he had potential. Everybody did. But he got shelved like the year before under Riley, where we just, you know, he wasn't a factor. And nobody thought he was going to be a factor this year because of Greg Bell and the guys coming in. And we know what he did this past year, first 1,000 yard back since Amir Abdullah. But now you see him in the East West Shrine game. He's taking the he- tearing up the headlines down mm-hmm. there.
2: He's getting all the headlines. I mean, the ma- large majority of them. Yeah, I, I saw somebody tweet out that they think he could be a
3: third-round pick, and he's probably not done yet, especially uh, with this week uh, or whatever of uh, Shrine Bowl practices and then the game, obviously. And uh, that stock is going to continue to rise. And, you know, I'll call myself out once again on that. I think on this very show, we were sitting there talking about who was going to merge from that running back room. And I said Devino Zigbo was the last guy on that list, that he was the odd man out in this offense and just didn't fit, uh, was probably going to transfer. Well, look at him now. Uh, the turnaround he made in just one season in this offense is a testament not only to, to what Frost and uh, his staff are doing, but to Divine Azigbo for just basically changing his total mindset, uh, his approach to the game, to training, to diet, to uh, just his focus on everything it takes uh, to become that level of football player. And here's some interesting stats about him. If you look at his first 30 games as a Husker, He ran the ball 293 times for 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 4.1 yards per carry. Over his final nine games as a Husker, he ran the ball 136 times for 998 yards, 11 touchdowns, and 7.3 yards per carry.
2: So talk about flipping the script and changing the entire course of your football career. It's pretty unbelievable, and you're not the only one, Robin. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I said something like, you know, he would be all did. <laughs> delegated to to be in the uh, the short yardage exactly. guy. I mean, you know, and so I, I don't think anyone could have predicted his emergence there. And and now he's out in the Shrine Bowl practices, you know, kind of proving himself to be a potential three down back. I mean, he's he's people are raving about not only his his explosiveness um, and and his physicality, but his hands too. Mm-hmm. He's, he's catching the ball extremely well, which we saw some of that while he was at Nebraska, but. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing. And and he is the poster child, I think, for for this new staff and especially for Zach Duvall Of You know, what, what can happen if you totally buy in to what these guys are selling? And
1: it's somewhat of an indictment of the previous staff that, you know, they had this guy that is going to be maybe one of the top five NFL draft pick running backs. And he wasn't really a factor.
3: Well, and he... Uh, the times he was a factor. I mean, go back to the foster farms bowl when they went to a power offense and he was a star, uh, the 2016, I think the Illinois game where he ran for, you know, that was one of their best rushing performances of the season. And then they just went away from it and started airing the ball out. So uh, yeah, that is an indictment on the staff for not realizing you got a guy that could be pretty good as a big 10 running back and you don't use him nearly as much as they should. Do
1: you buy that? He was like internally suspended in 2017 because he didn't play what the first two games or three games of that year.
2: Yeah. It, well, and then – and Reggie Davis was always real coy about well, – He you was know, weird what, about it, too. Really And weird. then when he
1: finally got in the game, like, he got a couple, like, big short yardage runs and looked great, and it was, like, the most sarcastic Memorial Stadium. <laughs> I told you so, clap. Yeah. Like, you coaches are a bunch of dumb you-know-what. Yeah. You're not playing your best
2: guy. Yeah. I, I don't – I honestly – I have no idea. I mean, I know that was the theory. Yeah, okay, yeah, he did something. And, and so that's why he's he's in the doghouse, but – I mean, who knows? I mean, there he was. So many. A rela-
1: I don't think he had a great relationship with like a Davis
2: and that staff either. I mean, Davis was
1: a good guy, but I felt like very few players had relationships with him. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. I don't know. He was. He's probably the biggest enigma on that last staff because he didn't really recruit. He, he didn't really say a whole lot uh, about his players when he was here. Um, I mean, Ryan Held has recruited like three times the amount of running backs, and and all of them are pretty much all four star guys. Then. In, in one year than Reggie Davis did in his entire tenure here. And they Nebraska. couldn't capitalize on Amir Abdullah. Yeah.
1: Do we know where Reggie Davis is at? Did he land somewhere? I
2: don't think he's doing anything. Yeah, He's probably collecting his – well, no. No, that's it's probably, over. Yeah, it's over. He,
1: did he leave Lincoln? I mean, did he leave Lincoln? I have no idea. Huh, yeah, no, that – good guy, yeah. Just, it's a, it's, yeah, a, it's he, amazing when you see what – the only running back he really recruited was Jalen
2: Bradley. Yeah, pretty much Jalen Bradley's, like, the only guy.
1: Newbie was a leftover, mm-hmm. and Devine was brought in by Charlton Warren.
2: Yeah, Charlton Warren was the guy that, I guess, found Devine. Devine had committed to, to Iowa State, and then he was able to, you know, Charlton basically flipped him, and then, as we all know, Charlton bolted for North Carolina, like, how about that uh, by a few the weeks way? Later. Charlton
1: Warren and um the, who's the other guy? There's two Nebraska former D B coaches, both candidates for the Georgia D B job. They were you know
2: Well Charlton's now at Florida, Florida. and um and Corey Raymond, Corey Raymond. and Terry jo- Joseph. All those guys yeah. like are like yeah. whenever
1: there's an SEC job open, they're always like the name that gets well, mentioned. Well,
2: and, and Corey Raymond's been mentioned for the uh the Ohio State deal too, I think. So mm.
1: If there's one thing Bo knew how to hire DB coaches, he didn't know how to keep Could, them. Though. Yeah, couldn't keep them. <laughs> he didn't this. know how to keep D- them. It didn't matter if they fit what Nebraska well, was doing whatsoever. I don't but.
2: think it was just yeah. Bo either. I mean, that seems like that that position at Nebraska has been a revolving door for like the last. 10 Corey years.
1: Raymond, uh, Capital One Bowl. Nothing will top <laughs> that comment after Nebraska just lost to South Carolina, mm-hmm. and yeah. he just said to a bunch of reporters, "Look at them and look at us." <laughs> yeah, that was the Alshon Jeffrey team. Yeah, so, that was. yep. Look at them, Alfonso. <laughs> look at us. And By the Alshon. way, Nebraska should have won that game. So, no doubt. Don't say the look at him. Look,
2: Nebraska—they choked that game yeah. away. They had some dudes, though. They had some They dudes. did have some dudes, but
1: yeah. I remember
3: watching warmups and I was like, "Holy! They're two cow. defensive ends."
1: Yeah, uh,
2: the Ingram, one, yeah Ingram and yeah, Ingram Clowney. Gosh, was it Clowney? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was Clowney? And then it, Jeffrey, he might have been. Yeah, Alshon freaks. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, yet, and yet, they were playing. Ingram in was, Ingram
1: hole. was like. You know, the better guy on the team, but mm-hmm. Clowney was obviously yeah. the better prospect. Yeah. And the old Spurrier. <laughs> All right, when come back, we are going to shift the conversation over to the Nebraska basketball team as they found their stride at Indiana. We'll get Robin Washat's thoughts on kind of the big turnaround and what Bill Moose's presence in Bloomington meant to him. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker yeah. Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett talking some Nebraska basketball struggle, as Trying to keep it Huskers get really one of their biggest wins of the season, Robin, as you kind of look at how things played out this week uh, at Indiana. And, you know, talking to some people kind of around the program, it was really a must-win type of game for the program. Because if they lost their fourth Big Ten game in a row on the road, um, you start to kind of lose some culture at that point because one of their internal goals was to win road games, and they would be 0-4 on the road. Um, In Big Ten, yeah. And the negativity would have been at a sweltering all-time high, Michigan State coming into Lincoln, and we're taping this obviously before Michigan State's game Thursday, so we're not going to get into too details on that, but um, it was just a big moment in this season to not only beat Indiana, but to just stick it to them.
3: Yeah, the manner in which they won. uh, The fact that they won the game isn't a total surprise, because Nebraska actually leads uh, the series against Indiana all time, and uh, they've won, what, two in a row against them, uh, dating back to last season, so I mean, they've kind of matched up really well with Indiana uh, for a while now, but uh, to jump out on them the way they did, go up by 18 points in the first half. And then, even though they sputtered for you know, a good eight or nine minutes and let Indiana crawl back all the way to three points, they found a way to finally have that killer instinct and finish the job. Uh, that was what was lacking in those previous Big Ten losses. Uh, I mean, up eight in the second half against Minnesota being, or sorry, up 13 against Minnesota, up eight against Maryland, um, you know, and having chance after chance against Iowa and never being able to close it out. Uh, that's, I think, was really a uh, dark cloud kind of hanging over them was the inability to finish the job in games that they felt like they should have won. And so they finally did that in a major way and had Indiana fans heading for the exit with like four minutes left in the game, um, which is pretty telling because... It was their first home loss of the year. Yeah. They had had won 10 in a row at home this year. Yeah, dating back to last season. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a top... 25 team for a reason. They got a lot of talent. They got a first-team All-Big Ten player in Juwan Morgan. They got a lottery pick in Romeo Langford. Uh, and so, I mean, that is a team that is good. And when they're clicking, they are as good as any team in the conference. And Nebraska had them flustered from start to finish. Indiana thought they could go man-to-man with them and just beat them with their guys. And Nebraska made them pay for it early and on. Yeah,
1: we talked about that, Robin. When, when teams decide just to play Nebraska straight-up man-to-man, mm-hmm. my old basketball coach, we used to call that straight-up 50, just full-court man-to-man um, you know, it, they they don't. That, that's not good. I mean, no, I, they, I, Iowa. You know what they did? The blueprint of kind of junk, defensing it up, three quarter court press. That's what gives Nebraska problems.
3: Yeah, you, I mean, the the formula is to go away from whatever you do defensively and just pack the lane and make Nebraska beat you with three pointers. And Iowa did exactly that. Uh, they added a press element that, for whatever reason, Nebraska struggled with, and then Iowa hit. Uh, clutch three after clutch three and so i mean that that's how you beat nebraska you get their bigs in foul trouble uh you beat them on the perimeter and you don't let them score at the rim and get to the free throw line so uh that that is the blueprint but for whatever reason indiana did did not try to go to it and they thought that their guys could beat nebraska's guys well it turns out nebraska's starting five is as good as there is in the big 10 conference maybe next to the michigans uh but uh i mean that was not a surprise that You know, Nebraska was able to have that sort of, you know, level talent field. uh, But the way that they kind of uh, negated all of Indiana's strengths in that game and controlled it, they did not
1: trail one minute in that game. Uh, That was about as impressive as it's been all season. There's still, I think, Robin, when you look at Nebraska basketball, though, I feel like there's still just this notion that there's just no respect for Nebraska. um, When they win, Um, it's because the other team played bad. Mm -hmm. Um, The rankings and the the way the pollsters vote, you can just sense Nebraska doesn't get a lot of love. I mean, the only thing that's showing Nebraska a lot of respect right now is the the new RPI, the net ranking. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just interesting to me, even the Indiana win, I felt like it was more Indiana played like crap versus Nebraska played well.
3: Well, especially if you read any of the uh, Indiana postgame coverage. I mean, you thought Nebraska was like the St. Mary's School for the Deaf and Blind, and this was the most uh, atrocious loss in program history. Uh, So, yeah, I think there is a lot to that. Um, You know, the fact that they're a consensus top 15 and all the reputable analytics, you know, whether it's the net, uh, Ken Palm, or whatever it may be, Uh, Nebraska is, you know, one of the best teams in college basketball as far as that's concerned. But then they're barely even able to make it into the top 25 when it comes to the AP voters or even the coaches' votes for that matter.
1: Yeah, it's just the program is the only power six uh, power conference team Mm -hmm. that's not won an NCAA tournament. Well,
3: and Miles has said it himself. I mean, if they had Iowa State on the front of their jersey, they're a top 10 team. Or top fifteen team. You know, te- I mean, and,
1: and I'll give you credit. When they lost to Texas Tech, it was Panic City around here. People were pissed, and well, yeah. and, and you called that loss for what it is. You said this is going to be a team. That's going to maybe win the Big 12. And they might, I mean, they've got as good of a chance to unseat Kansas as any team in the Big 12 right now. They're,
3: they're loaded. They're loaded with
1: uh, veterans across the Kansas board. Kansas has that big injury now.
3: Yeah. They got a lottery pick and Jarrett Culver. Uh, I mean, they, they've got everything necessary. That's a potential Final Four team uh, if they're able to put it all together. Is that
1: guy going to be there next year? Chris I mean, be- I mean he, you would think if he he's going to them-
3: be as hot of a name uh, for any blue blood that comes to town. I mean, if Cal Perry were to step down or whatever it may be, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of draw for Chris Beard. I mean, he is a stud coach. Remember, he was at Stephen F. Austin before that, and he led the Lumberjacks to the, I think that's her nickname, Stephen yeah. F. Austin to the NCAA tournament. Uh, had him win a game or two, so I mean, that dude can coach and he can recruit, but he's a Texas guy, so it might be hard to pull him from out Got of the it, and if, if
1: Nebraska had that win under their belt, oh I mean, my
3: gosh. where would they be? They're in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, that's a win over a top 10 team right there. Uh, And that's, you know, the same opportunity that they have against Michigan State. Uh, They're going to get them twice. They got Michigan still left on the schedule. Uh, You got a rematch with Iowa. You got Purdue on the road. You got Maryland coming to town. So there's plenty of opportunity to continue to stockpile. Those quad one and quad two wins, which uh, let's make note. Go back to last year. We, obviously, what kept them out of the tournament was the lack of quad one wins. They had one Michigan. at home against Michigan, and they had two quad two wins. Now, through 17 games, they already have two quadrant one wins at Clemson and then at Indiana, and they have three quadrant two wins uh, against Seton Hall, Creighton, and and Oklahoma State. So take that, Jerry Palm. So, I mean, they've already surpassed their postseason resume, and you're not even into February. So. I,
1: I, I got a kick out of that last year, Jerry Palm fighting with Nebraska. I mean, the Nebraska oh, yeah. mob just goes after those guys. Turns out he was right. He Le- was right. Lenardi
3: was the same way, too. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, they – I mean, despite Nebraska w- winning 22 games, being 13-5 and five in the Big Ten, uh, that stigma that the Big Ten wasn't any good was too much for Nebraska to overcome.
1: Well, now you look at college basketball – the bids are going to be down. The Pac-12 is like maybe yep. a two-bid league. The Big 12 is going to be terrible. The Big 12 six to maybe seven. Mm-hmm. The Big East is maybe three. Big 10's eight, maybe even nine. I, I'm yeah, I and mean, I've seen some. With and it 10, could be more. And then obviously the ACC, yep. um, but. You know, between the ACC and the Big Ten, they're going to comprise eighteen to twenty bids. So
3: basically, you need to be if you're in the top half of the conference standings, you will make the NCAA tournament. That's where Nebraska is right now, and so they're sitting just fine at you know, thirteen wins, being three. They got a whole serve, essentially. yeah. And you know, you I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Ken Palm guy, and so after this Michigan State game, Ken Palm projects Nebraska to win nine of their next ten games. With their only loss coming against Purdue on the road,
1: and that would put them over 20 wins.
3: Yeah, and you're in double-digit uh, Big Ten wins uh, with with Michigan, Michigan State, and Iowa still to go after
1: that. And I think Purdue is a winnable road game. It is. I
3: mean, they okay. So the the projection has Nebraska losing that game, seventy-four, seventy-one, with roughly about a forty percent chance to win. So. You'll take that any day because they they don't play like a traditional Purdue team. No, and they don't have the Isaac Haas or uh, the Hammond guy. You know they don't have those monsters in the middle. They, they have, have that harms,
1: s- That sweet foreigner guy, yeah,
3: who is like the, one of the most hated dudes around the Big Ten. But the Christian Leitner of the Big Ten. They still make threes. They still play tough defense. They still have Carson Edwards, who's one of the best players in con- in the country. He's a first teamer. Yeah, I mean he's he's a consensus first teamer. But uh, they're vulnerable and they've been beaten
1: and they've looked pretty bad along the way. Now Michigan doesn't come to Lincoln, do they? No.
3: Nebraska goes there on February 28th. See, that so That would be a really great opportunity. That yeah, would be. But, you know. They get Michigan State twice. They though. do get Michigan State twice. And, you know, obviously they got uh, Purdue coming to town, Wisconsin, Ohio State, um, and then Iowa to close out the year. And so that's a, a handful of top 50 teams right there that, um, again, is going to bolster
1: your resume. All right, when we come back, we are going to bring in Husker Online intern Alec Rome. We'll take your questions in the mailbag next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washat, Nate Klaus, and Husker Online intern Alec Rome as we are going to take your questions... In the mailbag. Uh, and Alec, uh, what do you got this week, man? Good, by the way, good to have you back here for the second semester. I don't think yeah. we've had you in studio.
4: Absolutely. No, it's been a while, and I've got to say it's been so crazy. It's it, I haven't been here in so long that the music has all of a sudden changed on this program. Now we have DNCE and Drake, so that's
1: pretty crazy. I mean, we mix it up. I mean, that's we're, good. No, NFL I like it. NFL Films has always kind of been our roots. Mm-hmm. Um, we like the NFL Films during football, but... Try to mix it up a little bit here and there. But what do you got? You got a mailbag this week, a few questions. Uh, what do you got to start us out with?
4: Right. Now that you've seen the football staff working for a full year, who is the best recruiter, who is the best
1: teacher, and who is the most animated on staff? Mm. Um, I think it's Ryan Held is hard to, to go against just because of his versatility as a recruiter and how he got him with Wandell Robinson, the Juco stuff that he's good at doing with Dedrick Mills. And some of the other things he did, so he's my best recruiter. I'm going to go best teacher, kind of a tie. I I, I think Barrett Rude and I think Mario Verdusco, uh, those two guys. And what Verdusco did with Adrian Martinez um, as a freshman, getting him ready, that, that that was impressive. But what was the other the best what?
4: Um, best or most, most animated? animated yeah. Most
1: animated, probably Mario Verdusco, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think anybody else on that staff, uh, but. Verduzco's not afraid to, you know, turn off the the sensors. I mean, he'll 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 let it loose and, and tell you what he's thinking on the field, and um, he's a pretty animated guy. Yeah, I would probably
3: say. Um, obviously, I, I think Held probably was the the grind that he puts himself through on the recruiting trail. I mean, that dude is everywhere in every single recruit's living room, giving him the point and selling Nebraska. So <laughs> I I think he's got to be right up there towards the top. Uh, I'll throw greg austin there with the teaching um i think that he relates to players in a certain way that um not a lot of guys can replicate i mean obviously he knows what he's doing he's played the position but he's able to deliver that message similar to like barrett i think guys listen to him a little differently um because he connects with younger kids uh, on a different level um most animated yeah i mean it's hard to top for Deusco. i mean that <laughs> that dude's kind of a caricature but um I think Shenander, he's, he's kind of got some swag to him, too. He's got the dip in and, uh, you know, is kind of got, got a different uh,
2: tough guy attitude to him. Yeah, it's hard to go against Ryan Held there. You know, I, I think Barrett Rude may be one of the more underrated recruiters on the staff. I think you have to kind of look at him when you're talking about recruiting. Now, best teacher... I agree with what you guys have said so far, but I'm going to go with Travis Fisher. I think he's another guy that connects very well with his players. Obviously, he's played in the NFL. He, he has a lot of experience uh, to pass along, a lot of knowledge to pass along to these guys. I know that uh, they all respect him, too. Um, now, most animated, it's hard to argue, against Verduzco. Um, I will say I, I, I've watched uh, Coach Dawson. Uh, Now, when you talk to him after post-practice, he can get kind of worked up. And I've watched him, obviously, coach, um, you know, too. And and he's very animated, loud, um, you know, and and is a real passionate coach, I guess you could say. So I I would throw him in there.
4: All right. What do you got next? Compare and contrast Xavier Betts and Xavier Watts. What percentage chance does Nebraska have of landing these two? First of all, it's Xavier Xavier and Xavier. Xavier. See, and I was like (laughs) doubting myself
1: there. I'm like, I'm just going to say them both the same and hope it's okay. Go ahead. Um, I would (laughs) say Xavier, you know, and Nate Nate obviously knows as much or more about these guys than anybody, uh, but I I just think he's a better football player with a better feel for the game, has a more competitive attitude. Where Xavier, it's really natural for him. When you watch Xavier uh, bets from Bellevue West, um, I, I just think the game comes really easy for him. Um, where Xavier is just a diehard competitor once he gets on that field
2: yeah Betts is Betts is the more I think gifted athlete all around Um, I I think he's faster he's obviously uh, you know a little bit more you know his physical prowess I guess is a little bit more impressive at 6'3 210 pounds or whatever he is now I mean he, he he looks like a grown man already whereas uh, now, Watts, though, I think he's probably the, the more well-rounded total athlete and competitor and everything else, whatever other superlative you want to throw in there. Right? Um, it's hard to argue uh, against what Watts has done. I know that he's not going to be the guy that shows up and, and you know, wows you with, with his you know, measurables or, or his testing numbers. But you just turn on the tape. I mean, that guy, all he does is make plays. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a basketball player, too, for Burke. I know he makes a ton of plays on the court, too. Um, and, and he's just the ultimate competitor. So, um, you know, they're, they're both really impressive. But those are the things that kind of uh, differentiate each other.
4: Now heading over to the hardwood, Nebraska is currently projected to be a 5C with the possibility of running into Kentucky second round. Right now, can this Nebraska team beat basketball bluebloods like Kentucky?
3: Well, I just whipped Indiana, so... That's a blue button. Example one. (laughs) Kansas State whipped Kentucky last year. Yeah, and so, I mean, Kentucky is, they're far from what they used
1: to be. Um, Duke is more like Kentucky used to be, right? Yeah,
3: so, I mean, obviously that that one-and-done model has kind of worked for and very much against uh, that program. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Nebraska is perfectly capable as long as those starters are all staying healthy and they can continue to uh, put it together uh, on a consistent basis. You know, they just don't have the luxury of having one or two of those guys have a bad game because it could put so much pressure on the rest of those starters, and they don't have the bench that can come in and make up for it. So they, they're they walking a very fine line, but when it all clicks, Nebraska's as good as it, there is in the Big Ten and um, one of the better teams in the
1: country. Did I read right? Duke has three of the top five projected draft picks right now? Yes. That's unbelievable. They're sick. Yeah. And, and I know Jalen Rose and some of these Fab Five guys have debated, but this is a better team technically in terms of draft picks in the Fab Five.
3: Yeah, and the fact is their bench could probably be put together a pretty good starting lineup, too. So, I mean, they're, they're absolutely loaded. Coach K, you know, it took him a while to uh, buy into that one-and-done model, and he's uh, executed it and capitalized on it as well as anyone.
1: All right, what do you got next, Alec? Uh,
4: what areas will be better in 2019, and what areas will still be of concern? And will we begin to
1: see major impact from Duvall's work, or will it take more time? I think the offensive efficiency is going to keep getting better, but that's management of a game that's third down compl- uh, percentages fourth down conversions um, just the whole the whole gauntlet uh, uh, of everything on offense I think the offensive line depth is still a ways away um, I think they're going to get there um, but I don't know if next year it's going to be where they want it to be and I still have my doubts about the pass rush um, I, I, I just there's not enough coming back and the guys coming in are going to have to prove it Um, where, to me, that pass rush is going to have to get there over time. So still a little worried about the defense. I think they've got a lot coming back, but uh, I still have – you know, if there's something that's going to hold this team back, it's going to be maybe just the lack of elite playmakers on defense. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I mean, it seems obvious to say, but uh, Adrian Martinez is going to be one year older, and that's going to carry a lot of things and make a lot of elements on offense look a lot better. Um, but at the same time, even losing Stanley Morgan, um, I think the wider receiver position as a whole will be better. I mean, you got a lot of unproven guys, but I think the level of talent. Uh, across the board is going to be older, more experienced in the offense, and more dynamic. Uh, so I think that they'll have more weapons to work with. It's just a matter of which ones of those guys emerge to fill that void left by Stanley.
2: Yeah, <laughs> actually, I think there's still a lot of questions on the offensive side of the football: wide receiver, running back. You know, um, you know, even along the offensive line too. But but I still think, as a whole, I think that side of the football is going to take a pretty big stride uh, forward and. And I guess if you're a Nebraska fan, you're hoping that 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 offense takes a big enough step forward to to kind of help prop up the defense until they get all their personnel in place. All
1: right, we got time for one last question.
2: Well,
4: we've got those NFL playoffs going on, and I I don't know if anybody cares about the NFC Championship one because it's the AFC Championship game, the Super Blood Wolf Uh, moon, Record-breaking cold, lots of snow. Who punches a ticket to Atlanta for Super Bowl 53? Tom Brady and the Patriots, or Patrick Mahomes
1: and the Chiefs? Full disclosure, I think both Nate and I are big Chiefs fans. I know I am. Nate, you're a Chiefs fan. I follow the Chiefs. Um, I love the Chiefs at home uh, because that cold weather, it's going to take some mustard off those throws for Tom Brady. Well, it's not like he's
2: never done it before, yeah, Sean. I mean, yeah. He's 5-1 in and and, and games, 10 degrees or lower. He hasn't
1: won a game outside of Foxborough in the playoffs since 06. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I think that the fact that he's out of his comfy home stadium is going to make a difference. The noise at Arrowhead is going to make a difference. Mahomes' mobility and ability to create when weather is going to affect maybe the velocity of passes, um, the Chiefs' speed. I think the Chiefs get it done. I think their pass rush will get to Tom Brady. They lead the NFL in sacks. Um, So I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm going to say the Chiefs of the Super Bowl.
3: I think the Chiefs are the better team, but this is the Patriots' eighth, eighth straight AFC championship game. They've been there, done that, and they have the best quarterback of all time running the show. As much as I hate to say it, uh, and that cannot be replicated in the playoffs under that high pressure situation. Uh, I think that the just experience and uh, just been there attitude of the Patriots will prevail Boom. them, and they will make it to yet another Super Bowl. <laughs> that no one's is a favorite now. I know they are, but you know they're they're the che- the Patriots, the underdog. Remember, no no one respects them. They're too old. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> they
2: suck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really hard to to go against the Patriots. And, and that, that stat that I heard today of Tom Brady being 5-1 and, 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 and games They're, they're so degrees. versatile.
3: They can do yep. anything. Like, they don't just have to throw the ball. They can sit and run the ball for 250 yards, too. Especially I mean,
4: with Michelle. Michelle has just been I a beast know. for them. And
1: that's Rex Burkett and yep. James White. Yep. And the Chiefs yep. don't have really a frontline running back no. right now. Yep. So that's
3: what I think. I mean, you're putting so much on Mahomes that when he's on, there's no one in the NFL that can keep up with him. But uh, that's just a lot to ask for a young guy to
2: go beat Tom Brady I, in, I in a game say, like this. I was, I was impressed with the defense – uh, against the Colts, I mean, everyone has said that the Chiefs' defense the is Colts. kind of their Achilles heel. I know it was the Colts, but still, I mean, they look, they made them look silly. You see what
3: the Patriots to the Chargers, who are playing for a one seed, yeah. I mean, that was more impressive than anything. I mean, they got an impressive. Home
2: field
1: though really matters, especially at Arrowhead. Oh, yeah, it does. it especially does. Especially really at Arrowhead.
2: I, My official pick. I, I do think, I, although I, I mean, it's like I said, it's hard to go against the, the Patriots. I do think that. Uh, Mahomes is ushering in a new mm-hmm. era of, uh, of of dominance I'm gonna go with Kansas City
1: the Saints too even at home like they're tough I mean I thought Philadelphia had them but they, they go for the was it a fake field goal they, they call the fake uh, or they went for it to, to kind of break that game open and get back mm-hmm. in it when they were down was it was I was watching
3: on my phone at my in-laws I house, think so it I was. didn't pay that it claim. was
1: 14 it was. nothing and they were gonna kick a field goal and then the Eagles and the Saints went for a fake and got it, and mm. then they scored on fourth down. I mean, they are yeah. they, I mean, so tough to beat in, in this New Orleans. And Jared Goff hasn't really seen anything like that atmosphere probably in his young career. So I, I would think the Saints get yeah, the, the fact wins, that it's too. in
3: New Orleans. I give the Saints the edge. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yep. Yep. All
1: right, well that wraps it up for the mailbag. When we come back, Nate Klaus and I will break down the final rivals 250 and top 100. Nebraska well represented in that, and then we'll close the show with more recruiting. That's next here. Listening to the Huskar Line Show. This is Husker Online,
0: your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as uh, the final rivals, top 100 and 250, came out this week. And my gosh, Nate, I mean, it went pretty well for Nebraska, all things considering, when you kind of look at how things shook out in these rankings. Um, overall, four guys in the final top one or top 250, um, with the potential of Noah Paula Gates being five.
2: Yeah, you really – you can't ask for a whole lot more than that. It's been a while <clears throat> since Nebraska has had that type of presence in the rivals two hundred and fifty, especially coming off a four win season. I mean, that to me, that's the maybe the X factor in all this is how well that Nebraska has re, has recruited, um, considering the season that they're coming off of. So there's still a lot of optimism there, um, you know, and to to have the possibility of, of having five guys in the rivals two hundred and fifty, uh, you know, is <laughs> is really really good.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we break down the final top 254 Nebraska and kind of where guys finished out. Um, the first one, Wandell Robinson, he's the highest ranked guy, Nate, finishes number 61. Um, he saw his rating increase uh, considerably after the Army All-American game. He went up 37 spots to number 61.
2: Yeah, he's uh, you know, rated a 6.0 four-star, which is really essentially just one, one – notch away from being a five-star you know he's uh you know coming in at 61 overall in the country and that's i want to say it's about 37 spots away or 30 30 uh 40 spots away from being a five-star so uh so he's right there and and a lot of it had to do with the fact of uh, you know that he showed so well in san antonio i mean uh the big question about him had always kind of been okay um you know his size and what kind of competition does he play cuz you watch the tape and it's just ridiculous i mean he's he's making people look like fools out on the football field and yeah he's he's not playing the greatest competition it's 3a football in in kentucky which would probably be you know the equivalent of C one, maybe, maybe probably look, class B. Yeah, class B in, in Nebraska, and uh, and he's an elite level athlete. So yeah, he should be making people look like fools out there. But he went to San Antonio, and he was making the elite of the elite looking like fools too. So uh, so that's what really prompted his giant move up. Plus, he's built well. He's not the biggest guy, but he's, he's, he, put trains together. A lot. he's tra- he trains a lot. He trains a lot. His dad is a professional trainer, certified trainer. Uh, they own their own gym and everything. So, I mean, uh, he is put together extremely well, and, and he won't he won't have uh, an, an issue kind of transitioning to, to Division I football where you can't ne- necessarily say that about everybody. And
1: Ty Robinson goes up, Nate, um, 55 spots to number 91. So he was not in the Rivals' top 100. The analysts from Rivals saw enough from him in San Antonio – Uh, to put him inside the final Rivals Top 100.
2: Yeah, a lot like Wandell Robinson. You know, Ty Robinson won a ton of accolades uh, his senior year of high school. He's the defensive lineman of the year in the state of Arizona. Obviously, all state, super state, whatever you want to call it, uh, and all those things. Uh, He was up for as well as as, uh, Wandell Robinson was up for the the top four offensive players of the year in the nation. Ty Robinson was up for uh, one of the top four um, defensive players uh, of, of the of the year, so or he was a finalist of, with three other guys. So, uh, I mean, the guy had you know 35 tackles for loss and and I think like 17 sacks this year, or something crazy like that. And then he went into San Antonio, and not only did he show you know his, his well, with his size and explosion and, and and strength and everything, but he showed some versatility too. I, I was really impressed with how he how he kind of grabbed on to uh, to being moved inside to play defensive tackle. How he how he held up against uh, double teams when when he was asked to do so, um, and and you know the kind of the total package, all the intangibles and uh, athletic ability that you that you could really ask for, and and that's what prompted the big move with him.
1: Nick Henrich comes in. Uh, he actually fell eight spots to number 127 and that's not really an an indictment on Nick Henrich but chose not to play in the Army Bowl Um, you know some other guys made some late moves based on the season but still a very very solid ranking for an in-state player one of the higher rankings we've seen from a Nebraska player in quite some time
2: yeah it's been a long time since we've seen an in-state guy ranked that highly and Uh, I mean, and let's be honest, he he had a shortened season. Uh, You know, I I think it was beginning of October or middle of October when he had his first initial knee injury that kind of held him out until the state championship game. Then, of course, he was only able to play, you know, first quarter and a half or whatever, first quarter of the the Class A uh, title game there. Um, and with him being an early enrollee, he decided that he was not going to play an All-American game and and, and uh, instead kind of try to get back on track and get healthy uh, with him being on campus already as a current Husker. So, but yeah, I mean. Uh, you talk about a kid who, who you know, another guy that the tape doesn't lie. You turn on the film, you, you're able to watch him in person, which I've been fortunate enough to do. Uh, the guy just makes plays all over the place, and especially in that state championship game. I mean, he's playing on one leg basically, and. Um, probably should have been playing. Probably shouldn't have been, but you know he's a heck, heck of a competitor. He was not going to be held out of that that state that state title game. Worked very very hard getting rehab, sometimes three times a day, uh, to get ready to to be able to have a chance to play in that in the Class A game. And uh, he was out there making plays and, until he couldn't make them anymore. And and so yeah, you got to tip your hat to him. And and uh, I mean he, he's another guy who who put together one heck of a resume this year.
1: And then Nate Bryce Benhart. Uh, makes the biggest climb really of any player. He was a 5.73 star, finishes the year now number 139 in the final Rivals 250.
2: Yeah, and, and you can basically, it has everything to do with what he did in, uh, in San Antonio because there's no senior film on him. And, and, you know, being in Lakeville, Minnesota, it's not necessarily a hot spot for our national team to go and, and scout just one guy. Yeah, Wisconsin
1: and Minnesota, those states in general, no one really scouts those areas. Not really.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, at least they're not getting national type of exposure. So, uh, so I mean, with, with no film out there, with not being able to really see him in person, it's not like he – I mean, he's a guy who does not like to do interviews. He doesn't like to go to camps and do all that stuff. Uh, but he's he's kind of a – you know, he's a freak of nature. Uh, he's legit 6'9". Um, 300 pounds. Well, I actually played the game at about 280, 285 because he's wrestling right now. But he did unbelievably well in San Antonio all week long and opened a lot of eyes there. And you just look at him and you go, holy cow, this guy is going to be something special because he's got that, that combination of size and athletic ability and growth potential. He's nowhere near reaching his ceiling. It's going to be kind of scary what he's going to look like after a couple years with Zach Duvall in that weight room.
1: And, Nate, lastly, he's not a Nebraska commit, but I think a lot of people feel good that he could end up being one. Noah Paula Gates, number 116 in the final Rivals 250.
2: Another guy who um, who racked up a ton of accolades this this year as a senior uh, and really had a, a heck of a resume throughout his high school career. He was the defensive back of the year in the state of Arizona, um, you know, and, and also, you know, won all the, the All-State and all that stuff and everything. But, again, he, he went to San Antonio and had a, had a really good week there, uh, showed his ability to not only cover, but just how physical. I mean, if you if you watch the game, you saw that this kid loves to hit. Uh, he's kind of an enforcer in the back end of the defense there. Uh, but he's got coverage skills, too. He, he played some corner in high school in addition to safety, um, you know, and he's got ball skills. He played wide receiver and was a kickoff returner, too, in high school. So uh, he, he does a little bit of everything, tremendous athlete, obviously has a um, – a really strong genetic pool with, with his, his uncle, uh, you know, with being related to the Palomalu's, and, um, you know, and, and uh, he's got a cousin that's at USC and. Um, you know, and obviously he had offers to, to play basically anywhere in the country, uh, you know, and it came down to Alabama, USC, Nebraska, um, you know, Penn State and Arizona State. We'll find out Saturday exactly where he's going.
1: All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the conversation over to what happened in Lincoln this past weekend and kind of where things are at with Nebraska's final four spots they need to fill here in this 2019 class. That's next here listening to the Husker Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we're talking recruiting. And Nebraska nearly done, Nate, here with this recruiting class as they have five spots left technically, but they're going to hold one of those for after spring ball, maybe for a transfer and whatnot. So really just four spots to go. I mean, this has kind of been cruise control a little bit for the Husker staff.
2: Yeah, it really has been cruise control. Um, the interesting thing is that there's four spots left, but there's probably, you know,
1: 10 guys in play, Yeah,
2: 10 legitimate guys that are, that are still in the mix. So it's going to be really fun to see, you know, just how they, they kind of put it together here uh, and, and what they're, you know, what they're, what they value over, you know, one position over the other or one player over the other, or however, that, that board is looking and something tells me that things are pretty fluid right now. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a big difference between recruiting and drafting. You know, in the draft, you always say the the you know best available. And, uh, but at the same time, when you get down to, to this spot in recruiting, uh, when you only have a, a couple spots left, I, I think that sometimes that does come into play where you go, you know what? Um, we have some other needs, but this guy is too good to turn down. So it, it's going to be fun to see how things kind of shake out.
1: Yeah, it's really, you know, we've talked about this a while back, but the handle the staff has just on their numbers in this class, uh, that's what's always got my attention. I mean, um, they, they have hardly brought any visitors in since the season ended, which just tells you how good they've gotten in with the guys they've already brought into campus. They're not trying to scramble. And uh, this weekend, Nate, they brought in four new names, new targets, really all of them, all high-priority targets.
2: Yeah, all of them, uh, definitely all high-priority targets. Uh, you're right. I mean, in, even in December after the season ended, we, I was expecting at least um, you know, to see at least one massive visitor weekend where there'd be you know, maybe close to 10 guys on campus, and that just didn't happen, uh, and that's because they've closed extremely well. But this past weekend, you had DJ James, cornerback out of Alabama that's committed to Mississippi State, Sony Fanua. Uh, the the junior college outside linebacker from Mesa Community College, Stephen Parker, the four-star outside linebacker from South Oak Cliff High School in Dallas. Uh, and uh, Charles Njoku the four-star wide receiver from New Jersey now all those positions are are spots positions of great need uh, for Nebraska I'd, I'd say outside linebacker is probably the biggest need left in this class and
1: it's been a need for about five years and it has it, has, it really has <laughs>
2: been especially you know over the past couple years since they've moved you know transition things to to the three four, uh but you know, with those, with those two outside linebackers that were on campus, I, I feel better about where they're at with Sonny uh than Stephen Parker. Now, Stephen Parker really liked his visit. Um, there was a lot of snow last weekend, and, and so that always makes things interesting when you have kids from the south, whether it's the southwest or southeast, wherever, uh, visiting. And, and Stephen Parker, that was he said, that's the one thing I'm not sure about. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the snow. But, uh, but he loved the, the coaches, the scheme and everything now Sony Fanua um, you know I I think I would probably give him the edge as far as as uh, you know who Nebraska may lead for at that outside linebacker position I've actually made my future cast for him Uh, to end up at Nebraska. He's going to be visiting Central Florida this weekend, and then I think he's got Oklahoma State and KU uh, visits coming up here before the signing date. But something tells me that he may not end up taking all those visits. We'll see if Nebraska can have some leverage here. And now that things are getting to the nitty-gritty kind of spots are filling up but something tells me that they may be able to to leverage uh Fenua to, to in the into the boat here sooner than later
1: now tell me more about njoku i mean he's a new jersey guy four-star prospect doesn't really have though like any major what i would categorize as major offers why do you think a kid like him didn't kind of pick up that penn state or you know that ohio state you know the, the east coast offer that really gets those types of kids
2: yeah it, i don't know i mean that's that's the great question because you watch the film, and he's a dynamic player. Um, he's not just a big possession guy at 6'5", 205 pounds, two hundred and ten pounds, whatever he is. Uh, I mean, he can run, and and obviously he's got the gene pool uh, that you're looking for. His brother David uh, went to Miami and got drafted. He's with playing with the Browns right now. His other brother Evidence uh, Nijoku is is with Miami right now, and. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, when you look at Charles, who he won a state championship this year, put up terrific numbers. I think he had about 1,100 receiving yards and 19 touchdowns, something crazy like that. So um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know why the lack of offers. I don't know if part of that was because he committed to Missouri so early and had been committed to them for a long time before backing off right before the contact period happened. But um, at any rate this is a kid Nebraska has had their eyes on for a long time they officially offered after he decommitted from Missouri and they would love to add him to that wide receiver rim they don't have a wide out on the roster that looks like him and like I mentioned earlier he's a, a big kid 6'5 210 pounds and and is more than just a, a possession guy it kind of reminds me of a Maurice Purify type of bat or type of wide receiver, I think that you know he may be the closest thing to to Maurice Purify that Nebraska has seen, uh, you know since since Mo. Uh, if he were to to end up committing here, he's going to be visiting UCLA this weekend, and then I think we'll we'll uh, see where he's going to go after this weekend.
1: So the final four spots: pass rusher, receiver, safety. Assuming that's Paul Gates, and then a corner.
2: Yeah, I think that's how it how it shakes out. Now, you know, maybe the wild card in all this is possibly uh, Matthew who who is
1: that's a you just make room for him kind of guy.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, he's a four star defensive tackle. He's cousins with uh, Noah Pola Gates, so you know we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. he got to
1: build that Polynesian community well, here. And, I
2: mean, and, and that's one thing that I think is kind of flying under the radar right now. Nebraska is working very hard. To po- to build a, a Polynesian community, but to build somewhat of a Polynesian pipeline here, you have Vaha Vanuku on campus, um, and if you can add uh, Sony Fanua and uh, Noah Pola Gates, and maybe a Matthew Pola Mayo here, all of a sudden you've got you've got some legitimacy when you're when you're recruiting other Polys. Um, you know, and, and when they visit Nebraska, they're going to feel more comfortable. And I mean, that's a very tight knit community. They all, I mean, all, they all know each other. They, they've been going to the, the to the all poly camps together for years and years or you know, tight knit community, very tight knit community. So, uh, so this is something that, that this is not the first time that a coach at Nebraska has tried to do this. Uh, um, Bill Callahan
1: and Bill Bush really, they tried, really to. tried.
2: They really tried. And, and it's hard. It's really hard. And, uh, and really Ever since Nebraska, you know, ever since uh, uh,
1: the 90s and late early 2000s, yeah,
2: late 90s, early 2000s, they just, for whatever reason, have, have had terrible luck with it.
1: Tony Ufanotti, Dominic Riola, Tony Tata, Junior Tagwa. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I'm missing, but they had a really good polynesian yep. community on campus with those guys yeah, and you
2: had i mean with the riola uh deal that that gave them instant legitimacy oh, and finoti and finoti and Finote, yeah. I mean, they
1: were both draft high, they were both second round draft picks yep.
2: so uh but yeah for whatever reason that uh that that pipeline dried up and and has not been able to get established ever since then so uh but i i'm, I'm telling you right now i think that i think the staff well hello yeah, yeah, but who who else? Roy Halu. They so,
1: they tried to bring that one offensive lineman in, and he was kind of a bust. Well, yeah, uh, he got hurt and reti-
2: medically retired. Fuamata, uh, yeah, Cornelius wasn't very good. No, he wasn't very <laughs> good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you've had one or two here or there, but not not a, like, not a not a handful of Polynesians on the team at any given point in time. So. Um, so I, I think that, I think that the the staff is really close to having that happen. So, and, and
1: weather doesn't matter. I mean, Utah has a ton of them.
2: Yeah. And and Oregon, Oregon, Oregon state. I mean, yeah, weather is not necessarily a huge issue. Now, obviously if, if you're coming from the islands, um, you know, if you're a Polynesian coming from the islands, then weather may, may be a little bit of a factor, but for in the case of, uh, of Sony for he's from Salt Lake city. So yeah, I mean, the, the weather, the snow, that was no big deal for him this past weekend. Actually, he enjoyed it. He, he really liked the snow um, and was glad that it snowed when he was in Lincoln. So, so that kind of tells you a little bit uh, you know, about, about how his, his visit went. And I do think that, that uh, Nebraska ends up getting him.
1: Now this weekend, Nate, just two visitors, right? That's it. John Bivens. And Houston?
2: And, yep, John Bivens, the running back out of Ohio, which is really interesting because even though Nebraska just signed Dedrick Mills this week, they're still bringing in John Bivens. And I'm not sure exactly how he factors into the equation. Um, You know, I don't don't know if that's – if he's just kind of a a backup plan in case something goes awry there or if if – They're just loading up there. Yeah, or if they have – you know, if something happens between now and signing day where they have an extra spot, then then they give it to John Bivens. I I don't know, but – They've been on him for a long time. They obviously really like him, even though he's coming off of a a knee injury um, where he decided not to play his senior year. That way he was 100% healthy for wherever he ended up going to college, uh, which really I think hurt his recruiting overall. I mean, you know, I I, I would – I mean it's Nebraska and Toledo right now for, for Bivens. And and he this is a guy who a year ago at this time he had some big time offers. A lot of a lot of a lot of high profile schools after him. So we'll see what happens there. And then Demarion Houston, you know, it's pretty clear Nebraska wants to add one more wide receiver. Now he's not the big body guy that Charles Njoku is, but he is a burner. I mean, he's a legit four three, four four guy. He's got verifiable track times. Um, he can flat out fly. It was a longtime Texas commit, and now he is since he has taken a couple other visits, one of which was to Minnesota. And the the Gophers actually seem to be, you know, uh, in in fairly good position for this four star wide receiver out of Oklahoma City. So we'll see what happens with him in Nebraska after this weekend.
1: All right. Well, that wraps it up here. It should be another busy weekend on Husker Online uh, with Nebraska basketball in full swing, and obviously uh, recruiting as uh, Nebraska will have a few more visitors here in Lincoln over the weekend.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.